Good evening, everyone. Tonight's class is titled My Soul is on Fire, Part 2. And last week we discussed what it means to be a fire. Fire has two personalities. Number one is it's constantly going back to its source in heaven. That's why it's constantly moving up. And in addition, it's moving up though it's going to lose its uniqueness. Fire wants to return to its source. Though down here it's a somebody, you know like tornadoes and hurricanes, they, they give them names, right? Hurricane Andrew, every, everything has a name. So down here, a fire, it, it's a something. God forbid if it burns something. This specific fire was a somebody. The moment it goes back to its source, it's a nobody. Nonetheless, fire wants to return back to its source. So again, the two items, is it always wants to return to its source. Number two, though it's going to lose its uniqueness. And now we're going to learn that these two items exist in our soul. Our soul down here is a somebody. Here we're Howard, we're Yosef. Each one of us has our own name. The moment we reunite with God, we're nobody. We're just part of one big whole. Sorry, last week correctly so I was corrected. But the moment we return back to God, we're everything. We're part of Hashem, but individually, we don't exist anymore. Nonetheless, our yearning and our desire of the soul, the inner yearning and desire of the soul is to unite and become one with Hashem. And tonight we're going to learn two amazing things. We're going to learn the definition of nature. You know, nature, we say, is one of the biggest disguises on godliness. And, and we're going to continue to learn what it means to be holy. Again, the definition of holy, the way the world defines it and we define it, perhaps um, have nothing in common. Let's see it together. We're on page 80, in the middle of chapter 19. Left column. First paragraph in like manner. Again, page 80, in the middle of chapter 19, page 80. Left column in like manner. Just like fire wants to return to its source, though it's going to lose its uniqueness in like manner, does the nisham of man... And we're not only referring to the aspect of the one aspect of the soul called neshama, we're actually referring to all three parts of the soul. Down here, including the quality of ruach and nefesh, all three parts of one soul that are enclosed in his body naturally desire and yearn to separate itself and depart from the body in order to unite with, it, with its origin and source in God, the fountainhead of life. Chayi hachayim, blessed is he. The soul wants to leave this world and unite back to its source. That's step A. Like fire, we want to go back to its source. Step B. Though thereby it would become null and void. The moment your soul is united with one in a with Hashem in a revealed way, you aren't existing anymore. Hashem is existing. You don't exist. Completely losing its entity therein, with nothing remaining of its former essence and being. There's your non-existence. Nevertheless. This is its will and desire by its nature. The soul wants to unite back to God. And footnote number three is very important. 
This passage does not mean extinction of the soul, only its cessation as a distinct entity, as was clarified last week. Again, when the soul loses its uniqueness, it's becoming one with Hashem. Of course, that's the greatest thing in the world. But it, the, the word it, it being a something, the, ceases to exist. So though our... By raise of hand, how many people have heard of the word yeshus? Yeshus. It's, a, it's almost a... In yeshiva, it was a curse word. If you call someone a yesh, haha, that's a bad word. Why? Yesh means a somebody. The ultimate person is a nobody. So if you go to someone and say, you're a yesh, that was like a... That's a really bad word in yeshiva. It's all do if you have a lisp. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Nevertheless, though it's going to cease to exist completely as an entity of its own, this is its will and desire by its nature by its nature, the nature of the soul is that it, it would like to disappear, essentially it would like to disappear from its uniqueness and become one with Hashem Will you grant Rebbe that the soul never existed with, but, but, why they, but, but through the will of God, so it never really existed on its own anyway Correct, absolutely nothing really exists without Hashem but Hashem has empowered us to, God forbid truly believe we exist on our own. <coughs> Paro truly believed he was God. How could a human truly believe he's God? I don't know. But Hashem gave hum humanity, Hashem gave people the ability to truly believe that our life is ourselves, that we are, we are a person of our own. What does it mean, nature? We're saying that naturally the soul wants to unite with Hashem, though it's going to lose its uniqueness. What, is, what does it mean to nature? Elohim. Fantastic. Elohim begematria hateva. Elohim, when I was a yeshiva, another story from yeshiva, I was trying to do math, and my math never added up. Because we say, Elohim begematria hateva. Elohim is spelled Aleph Lamet Kuf Yud Mem. Now Aleph Lamet Kuf Yud Mem equals Aleph is 1, Lamet is 30, Kuf is 100, Yud is 40, and Mem is Yud is 10 and Mem is 40. How much are we up to? Aleph Lamet Kuf 131, 141, 180, 109. I'm getting confused. 191. Okay, now bear that number in mind. And we say that the numerical value. I know Basha already said the answer. I heard it. But uh, we say, and we learn in Kabbalah, we learn in Hasidus that Elohim, 191, is the numerical value of Hateva. Hateva means the nature. Nature. How much is, what's the numerical value of nature? Hateva is he is five. Tess is nine. What are we up to now? What? Fourteen. Hatev. Then we have a base. So up to now. Sixteen. And then we have an ayin, which is seventy. So what's our total? 
What? 86. So 191 and 86 don't come together, right? No. There's a problem there. So luckily, my teacher corrected me and he said, we say Elohim, but really the word is Elo with a hey. Aleph, Lamed, hey Yud, Mem. So it confused me quite a bit. But let's do the math again together, okay? Hateva is how much? 86. Elohim, Aleph, is 1. Lamed is 30. What are we up to? 31. Hey? 36. Yud is? 10. So what are we up to? 46. Mem is 40? Fantastic. Does it work now? Yes. Fantastic. So Elohim, Begamatri Hateva, Hashem, the name of Hashem, Elohim, is the same numerical value of nature. Meaning that nature is Hashem. That sounds beautiful, except Elohim, every name of Hashem has meaning. The, the name of Elohim is a name of strength. It means inner strength, but it also means concealment. Hashem is concealed in nature. When the sun goes up, and goes down every evening. When the moon comes, this idea of nature, when you plant, nature is the biggest... What does nature mean? What does nature mean? Liz, what does nature mean? Forget about it. When, when someone tells you something is natural, what are they telling you? Um, I don't know. Howard, what are they telling you when they say something's natural? Not man-made. It's not created uh, intentionally. It's unintentional. Unintentional. That's a, that's, a, that's a terrible meaning. If that's the definition, that's quite a hard word on God. I like his, first de- his first definition was better. It's What's the first definition? Not man-made. Not man-made. Not man-made. It's as things would exist if man wasn't there to change it. Natural is a part of nature. It's just how it is. It's not... Exactly. This is the way it is. And so the word nature actually is concealing God. What do you mean it's the way it is? I guess that's what I can't describe. It's like it, there is no explanation. You know, it's like why is the sky blue? It just is what it is. It is, <laughs> it is the essence of existence. Nature is the essence of existence. The word nature stops us from thinking. Basically, I could tell you something is natural, and that's the end of your thought process. May I ask a question back? Are we supposed to use Elohim instead of Elohim unless we're praying? Is that one of those circumstances? Or Absolutely. The second command is not to say, one of the Ten Commandments is not to say Hashem's name in vain. And uh, so therefore, we pronounce Hashem's name Elohim outside okay. of prayer. I yes, yes. Sure. Completely, Thank completely. You. No good, good clarification. So when we say the word nature, we're, we're allowing ourselves to st- stop looking further into what's going on here. You know, if pe- we know planes don't fly naturally, so people investigate it. Like, but when you plant something, people don't ask too many questions. They say, naturally, it's going to grow soon. Nature is an applied term for anything that is not in the realm of reason and comprehension. Teva, the true definition of Teva, according to Judaism, 
is anything not in the realm of reason and comprehension. It's above our comprehension. That's the way the Torah defines nature. I'm not saying when you say when we say nature, what our meaning is is something else. But when the Torah says the word nature, its intention is something that is higher than reason and comprehension. So saying so when you say something in nature is because it is without an explanation, that's saying the same thing. Right? Correct. You don't, because you don't have an explanation, this is beyond comprehension. Absolutely. Absolutely. When we say that something is natural, we're saying it's above our, it's above our understanding. It's truly above our understanding. It's in its original form. Right? But is it above? Say it again. It's in its original form. So according to the, when the Torah uses the word teva, nature, its meaning is, it's higher than understanding. The nature of the universe, who understands the universe? In our case too, so we said that the soul has a nature to want to unite with Hashem. In our case too, the inference is that this will and desire of the soul are now within the realm of reason, knowledge, and intelligence. The fact that we want to leave this world and unite with Hashem, though we cease to exist as an individual, is something that is natural. Meaning, it is higher than reason, reason and understanding that can be grasped and understood. But beyond graspable and comprehensible knowledge and intelligence. Our will to give up our soul for Hashem and unite with Hashem is something that's higher than our intellect. For this nature stems from the faculty of Chachma. It comes from the highest part of our soul. Found in the soul wherein abides the light of the Ein Sof, blessed is He. So as we've learned that in the highest level of the Ten he wrote, the essence of Hashem is there. And that is why we said everyone, no matter what type of person they may be, will give up their soul for God. Because when that essence of the soul is revealed, the essence of Hashem is revealed. And it's above understanding. So the essence of our soul is above understanding. Our connection to Hashem is above understanding. Yes, Howard? To, to me, there's kind of, natural has two two different like distinct meanings. There's the natural like this food is natural, meaning someone didn't create it mm -hmm. or, or alter it. Like, yeah, it's natural. Or to say, yeah, it's natural for you to be angry because that's more of a it's expected. Like it's not uh, like the, it's hard to describe. Do you understand those are kind Ab of different? Yes. Yeah, naturally. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's a different form of energy. It's, uh, it has nothing it to do follows. with ma made versus versus randomly coming about, but it, it follows. Yeah. And that's why I said that the Torah it. definition of, of whenever the Torah uses the word nature, the meaning is something above understanding. Because correct in our terminology, nature can be used in many. You're using human nature, like like your your last definition was more human nature, like human character. 
Did, did, good words. did the Torah predate modern scientific theory and all the principles of science? When, when did that officially be developed, the scientific method? Well, is, is the word Teva found in the Torah? You're saying it's found in the five books of Moshe? Yeah. There, was, there was no cataclysmic revelation that said from here on out there are priestly and, and um, Kavor and all kinds of people who through a series of uh, experiments and deductions came up with the scientific method starting with roughly the Middle Ages and through the Age of Enlightenment. It had begun much earlier but with the uh, uh, Middle Ages and what were called the Dark Ages uh, sometimes inappropriately that ground to a halt. And it, it re-emerged during the Renaissance and into the Age of Enlightenment. And it was not an instantaneous or a revelatory action. Uh, it built and built and built. You know, uh, Darwin was from the 18, I believe 1840s. Uh, and uh, there was a huge hue and cry and stake which is still going on today as to how relevant that is. But we need to remember that even with the continuing revelations and discussions of the so-called scientific method of explorations, there are still people who periodically come up with the claims, well, it's just a theory. Well, gravity is just a theory, but I don't see any of us flying off the Earth. And insofar as the theory of relativity is concerned, Ask the people in Hiroshima and Nagasaki how valid it is. This is an ongoing process. It's not, it's not a clap of thunder and we suddenly emerge into the scientific age. So, so thank you for putting some dates on the development of scientific theory and to tie that to what the I rabbi... It helped. I don't know that it did. <laughs> so well, I, it helps me tie it to what the rabbi is saying in terms of the Torah defines nature as something beyond our understanding. And to me, that makes sense as a definition, um, as a way for man to explain his environment. So, so the, the Torah definition for nature is beyond our understanding. Since the advent of the scientific method, mankind has been successful in understanding some of the things that we see in the modern definition of nature. So what had been beyond our understanding now is within our understanding. We now understand chemical bonds and we understand photosynthesis and we understand mating rituals of, of animals. These were all, and fertilizer and all these things that perhaps wasn't understood before scientifically. Oh, and, and I appreciate pointing that out. So the, the some points have been understood. But the essence of nature, per se, why the, why the world operates the way it does, um, most of it will never fully grasp. Right, but we've at least... We've t topped we've the surface. We've down into various studies of physics yes, and yes. chemistry and electronics. Mm -hmm. and yes, I, I appreciate that, that but, point. I mean, we can, we can measure gravity and we know it exists, but what is it? I mean, 
Like we can't, that, that can't, that's complex. Physicists Physicist understand that stuff. I don't. It's a force belief. No, that's a word we give. What, what's it's, it's, it's like electricity. No one has ever seen electricity. It's interesting to note that with additional knowledge and research, almost all the plagues can be explained. A great deal of the Bible can be explained in terms of natural law. Well, who created natural law and why would Hashem go completely outside of what he had created to do something? The fact that it occurred when it did and in the magnitude that it did, that's the miracle. Didn't Maimonides, uh, didn't he think that you know, uh, reason and comprehension could be used to understand nature to some extent? Absolutely. Guide for the perplexed. But not nature the way we're defining nature, correct. Um, but yes, you should use your mind to the best of your knowledge to understand Hashem, to understand the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. So nature in its, in its purest form means something that cannot be understood. And our connection to Hashem, that we're willing to give up our soul, is something that will never be understood. And we've discussed this previously, but to repeat. There are, yes, people that can give up their soul. There are other religions that will give up their soul. Jewish people are not the only ones that will die in the name of God. Jewish people are the only ones that will die in the name of God without being dedicated to their religion. Let me repeat that again. If, God forbid, a Palestinian murderer goes and kills himself, he's, that's not, we're not talking, that's not called giving up your... That's not what we're talking about here. Over there, they've... Ideologically, they've crea created in their mind, they've said that my only point in life is, God forbid, to do such and such. That's not our discussion here. Our discussion here is every Jewish person has within them unfortunately in some maybe deep down but every single Jewish person has within him a spark of God that spark of God will never allow him to be fully separated from him and should someone come to him and say convert or die he has the ability to look the person in the eye and say die and that is something unique to the Jewish people this ability that someone, no matter, the farthest person on earth from Judaism is able to stand up for his religion, meaning it truly it's a part of him, that is something that is unique to the Jews. That's the Chachma within every Jew. That's the highest part of his ten faculties. That is one with Hashem, that has the essence of Hashem within him, that is going to inspire him and tell him, you're a Jew, you're a Jew, you're a Jew, and you're never not going to be a Jew. You could, God forbid, you could try and convert. You could do whatever you want to try and break away from Hashem. <laughs> Recently, I can tell you many stories after World War II, unfortunately, where people tried to run away from God. And Chabad rabbis were in the wildest places ever. You know, there was, recently there were stories in Hawaii where people just thought they're going to go to the furthest place on earth. And the Chabad rabbi says, hey, you want to put on tefillin? And the man like went white. You know, he's like, you don't belong here. I ran away from God. Who let you come here, you know? These are stories that we have many of them. You'll never run away. The essence of Hashem is always going to be in there. But it's something above our understanding. Any question? So a person becomes a Catholic. God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put that in. 
Uh, he marries a Catholic. He has children who go to parochial school. One of his relatives or somebody who he knows is having a family occasion and he comes to shul. Can that person take an aliyah? That's a separate question. We say there are items that he needs to clean himself from. And um, it depend, depending, very often we would say that maybe it's not, a, it's not the best thing for have, him to have an aliyah today. But is he a Jew 100%? There's no question. Even if he changed to no matter what. Even if someone, even if someone converted, for example, for example, if someone converted to another religion, God forbid, at times there is some sort of process we want him to go through when he's going to want to come back to Judaism. But the, without that process, is he a Jew? Of course. My friends and I, we were in Australia together for two years, in Melbourne, Australia, and one of my friends, a good friend of mine, he, he met a priest, started talking to the priest, and the priest, his mother was Jewish, he's a Jew, and my friend and him, you know, they got into, they became acquaintances and talked. Um, I'll tell you something unfortunate. Very often, because this again happens, every year we see Chabad students doing this. You know, you know often those um, Santa Claus in, in, uh, in malls? Very often the people in those costumes are Jewish people. I, I, I kid you not. I have pictures of my friends going and putting on tefillin with people in these costumes. True stories. People they've... What? They have the best years. <laughs> <laughs> the people, they've, they've, they're doing something, they don't realize what it means, but they're still fully Jewish. God forbid, if they would get a little further, that's when the neshama would tell them, you, this you can't do, this you're not allowed to do. A Jew is a Jew. And this is something that, that's why Chabad is so strong about this. Why, why is it that... You know, some, sometimes we even have people complaining to us, oh, you allow everyone to come. What do you mean? We're all equal. We're all the same. We all have one soul. No matter what a person is going to do, you can't do anything to separate yourself from your father. Your father is always going to be your father. Your mother will always be your mother, and <laughs> you could try to do whatever you want. To, nothing, you're stuck. A Jew, no matter what you do, whatever you do, you'll, Hashem is always going to be... Your essence is always going to be Hashem. My wife and I had a friend who lived in Westchester County. She passed from cancer. But she was a, a child that came out of one of the camps in mm. Europe after World War II. And a nunnery took all these children and converted them to Catholicism yeah. and used them as labor for the longest time. And she felt very Jewish through her whole life and did some wonderful art, met Guggenheim, Peggy Guggenheim, and um, felt her Jewish roots, even though she was exposed to, uh, to Catholicism uh, of that era. You're going to forgive me. I'm going to go a little bit off topic because I see this as... No, it's an important topic. Very important topic. Shulchan Aruch says clearly, someone doesn't keep the 39 laws of Shabbos, they're like a non-Jew. Torah law is blunt, clear. Someone does not keep the 39 laws of Shabbos, effectively, they have the status of a non-Jew. Very sharp. 
you know, that uh, the food they eat or the food stuff they touch is, is not kosher, can't be a part of a minion. But the halacha continues, and it says, if someone was born exactly, the halacha is talking about the case you just mentioned, that's why I brought it up. Someone was born, raised as a non-Jew. So then we say that they've, they were trapped. This is what they were brought up with. It's not their fault. Not, we, they're not to blame. And therefore, they have the status of a normal Jew. And today, today, today we say that unfortunately with the energy in the world, this, yes, people, children being brought up, although today they may not be brought up in a monastery or a nunnery, whatever it may be, but the energy that's spreading through the world is, is trapping children, is trapping humanity from being able to appreciate and taste the beauty of the Torah. And that is why that today we are accepting of all. I just wanted to kind of throw that out on the table, put it out there. Any questions? Just to perhaps <laughs> clarify what you're implying, um, when you say all, are you referring to the non-traditional Jews? Jews of reform? When I say all what? Sorry, clarify. Um, I, Yitzchak spoke about a Jew who was born during the Holocaust and raised by nuns. Right. Are you saying... Um, Jews today that aren't raised to to observe Shabbat the way you would are those the ones that are being accepted as Jews? They don't Correct. Okay. Correct. I, I met a woman here in town last year who had never heard um, prayers. She was she was Jewish, but um, because her her parents, her parents were in the Holocaust, and they raised all their children not to be Jewish, not to act Jewish, to be almost agnostic. But um, she had a family member. Um, one of her parents' grandparents had survived, and her, it was a, it was a grandma think, who had taught her a little bit about Judaism under the table. And um, so uh, I had her to my home for Pesach. And it was the first time she'd ever celebrated it. She was like 75. And, um, you know, to watch her experience that, it had never left her. It never left her. She wept the whole time. All of it was like a part of her blood. Like it just permeated her body to experience it for the first time. She knew no different. How can you, you know, how can you, how can you shame that or prohibit someone from being fully Jewish um, when they do no different. Completely, completely. The, the, the energy that the world is sharing with people is very different you know, than, what, than what the Torah is asking. On the other hand, let us not kid ourselves. And I speak from personal experience, regrettably. Different branches of Judaism rationalize excuse, come up with various explanations that suits 
the social integration of the Jew to the exclusion of theology and religious practice. And that is, I think, the most dangerous thing because a lot of people grow up thinking, oh, we don't need to do that, that's old-fashioned, it's just to prevent trachina, and they skip on down the path, and in many cases they wonder why their children are lost to the religion, or they find out that where all along they thought they were accepted, that they suddenly find out that there is a great deal of nascent anti-Semitism. Now, my personal opinion is that don't be Jewish because, uh, because uh, don't not be an observant person because you're afraid of anti-Semitism. Be an observant person because as I have, the more I dig into it, find it as a general provision. There's a reason for everything. Judaism is not, a, in spite of Kabbalah, is not a mystical religion. If you study and delve into it, there is a reason for everything. And that's the advantage of study. So let's put this all together. Where, where are we holding right now? We're holding that the soul has a natural desire to unite with Hashem. And this is its nature, meaning it's something that is not understood. And now we're going to de define what holiness means. What does holiness mean? What does it mean to be holy? What does the word holy mean? What does the word holy mean, Yitzchak? Be spiritual at the highest level. Spiritual at the highest level. Okay, that's a that's a good that's a good definition. Philip, Phil, what does um, I would say holiness it's, mean? It's a, a nearness, a, a closeness to Hashem. Closeness. It's, it's, it's as you approach. Sharon, what does holiness mean? I don't know how to explain it. But <laughs> Could holiness means it's a word in. Yishai, what does holiness mean? Kedoshim to you, Hashem tells us be holy. What does Hashem mean when He says be holy? Be godly. Be like me. I've heard there was something about separation. Exactly. The word holy means to separate. Holy means separate. Holiness, the definition of holiness, to quote to you from the Bechaya, one of the commentators, Kedusha, Holiness is separation. I've quoted to you this Ramban, a very famous Ramban, but let me share it again. The, Ram, the Ramban is commentating on this, is commenting on the Pasuk that says, Kedoshim to you, you should be holy. And he says, well, what, what type of separation are you talking about? Hashem is like almost sharing, be holy. What, what do you mean be holy? Be separated. Be separated from what? Not to eat prohibited things, I'm not allowed to eat them. Not to marry people, you're not, you're not allowed to. What does it mean you should be holy? So the Ramban, when Moshe ben Nachman shares, he says holiness, holiness means there is so much kosher food out there that it, you, could be, you could be eating so much food, it could be despicable, but it could be allowed. You could go ahead and be caught up in a relationship that's allowed according to Torah without going into the specifics, but it's, it's, it's not appropriate. There's many things a person could do that, are, that is OU 
It's okay, meaning it's kosher, but it's not, it's not appropriate. That's what Kedoshim means. Separate yourself from that which you can do, but what isn't so appropriate. That's the lower definition of holiness. The ultimate definition of holiness, there's only one thing in the world that is truly holy. There's only one entity in this world that is truly separated from everything else. And who is that? Hashem. There's nothing else that is truly holy. So if you want to truly be holy, you want to truly be separated from everything else, you want to be an entity of your own, you want to be Kedoshim Kadosh, holy. The only way is, by be united, is, is through uniting with Hashem. Remember, which part of us is one with Hashem? Chachma, the highest. And now we're going to understand why the Chachma of our soul is called Kodesh Ha'elyo, the Supreme Holiness. Because that is one with Hashem. Hashem is the Supreme Holiness, so Chachma is the Supreme Holiness. Let's see this inside. Now, page 80, top of the right column, now, this is a general principle in the whole realm of holiness. It, holiness is only that which is derived from Chachma. What is Chachma called? Called Kodesh HaElyon, the Supreme Holiness, the source of holiness. Why? Because remember, the only true holiness, the only true separation is Hashem, and Chachma, whose existence is nullified in the light of the Ein Sof, blessed is He, which is closed in it. Hashem, the Ein Sof, is closed in Chachma, so that it is not a thing apart, as, is, as explained above. Chachma is not something of its own, it's one with Hashem. So if you want to truly be holy, there's only one way. By revealing Hashem within you. Not by bringing Hashem within you. Hashem is in you. By revealing Hashem that's within you. And now we could understand the story one month after the Jewish people left Egypt, they start screaming at Moshe. They say, we're out of matzah. We're starving. I'd rather, to quote, it's, it's scary words. Listen to these words the Jewish people use, we use. They turn to Moshe and they say, I would have preferred to die in Egypt. It was so much better when I used to eat the meat that they would give us. I don't know which meat. They would give us bread to sustain us. Ha! He took us out to this desert to kill us. Quote. Anyways, the month starts to fall. But before the month falls, the manna, the heavenly food, Moshe turns to the Jewish people. And he tells them, he says, he says, Hashem has heard your complaints. And what, what are we? Moshe and Aharon, Moses and Aaron, what are we? You're complaining to us. So comes along Rashi and says, what do you mean, what are we? What do you mean, you're, I mean what, do you, what do you mean, who are you? You're Moshe. Says Rashi, what is our worth? Yes, I'm Moshe, yes, I'm Aaron, but I'm nothing. I have no value. I'm one with Hashem. <laughs> You're asking me, talk to Hashem directly, don't complain to me. Ma, v'nachnu ma. Ma, the word ma, the word ma. The word ma really shows on the ultimate level of humility. Ma, what is it? It's not, what am I? I'm nothing. So what, remember, previously we discussed that chachma, the wisdom, is made up of the letters Ches, 
Chaf Memhei, which could mean Koach Ma, the power of, previously we translated it as the power of what? Today we're going to translate it much deeper. Chachma is koyach, koach, the power of ma, of humility. Chachma, the highest attribute of the ten faculties of our soul, is venach ma, is koach, the power of ma, of true hum- humility. And by tr- being truly humble, you could be one with Hashem. You know, a healthy person is one that doesn't feel his body. The moment you start feeling your body, it's a little bit unhealthy. Is that a true, a true statement, Dr. Yosef? Yes. <laughs> Not feeling yourself is the ultimate level of healthiness, of health. Why? I'll tell you from a Torah perspective. Your, your body is nothing. It's all your soul. If you're feeling your body, then you're not allowing your soul to come within it. If, if you want your body to have life, so then allow the soul to enter it. The more you think that this is my finger, this is a real finger, this is amazing, so now already you're pushing away the soul from within it. The more you get caught up with what you are, the more you're pushing away the soul from within it. Make, make sense so far, Dr. Yosef? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hashem tells us, I will not be in a place with haughty people. Have you heard this quote, the famous quote? Hashem says, I can't be together with a haughty person. There's no room for me. He's full. He has no room for me. Our soul says the same thing. I can't. If you have no room for me, I can't come inside. And that is why a haughty person, that is why someone who transgresses the Torah, in a way he's called, he's called slightly a dead person. He's not a, because he's not allowing his true life to come within him. He's not allowing his, his body to be permeated truly in, a, in an illuminated way by the beauty of his soul. Torah is life. How do you know Torah is life? It's the tree of life. It's a tree of life. The Torah is life. So someone that wants to live should be connected to Torah. Someone that wants to live should allow his soul to come inside. And so if you want the Chachma, you want the essence of Hashem to be revealed within you, you have to leave room for it. Let's see this inside. We'll start again from the beginning of the right column now. Now this is a general principle in the whole realm of holiness. It holiness is only that which is derived from Chachma called Kodesh HaElyon, the Supreme Holiness, whose existence is nullified in the light of the Ein Sof. Blessed is He. Chachma is nothing when Hashem comes within it, which is closed in it, so that it is not a thing apart as is explained above. Chachma is one thing with the essence of Hashem and therefore it is called Koachma, the power of humility. Why? Because Chachma allows Hashem to come fully within it. This stands in direct contrast to the so-called Kalipa and Sitra Achara. 
We are from our derived the souls of the Gentiles who work for themselves alone demanding give, give and feed me. Asaph said, Halitainina, he said, feed me. He said, give me, give, it's about me. In order to become independent beings and entities as mentioned above, in direct contrast to the category of Chachma, Klipa, the opposite of holiness, if to be holy means to be united with Hashem, to be nothing for yourself, then the ultimate klipa, the ultimate separ separation from God is when you say, I'm a somebody. I am me. I am a somebody. You have just separated from holiness. Holiness is to be one with Hashem. Now you're, you're a separate entity. And therefore, someone that says, I'm a somebody, unfortunately, they are, the Torah is going to call you in a certain perspective dead. You're not alive. You're not allowing the essence of Hashem to be revealed within you. For wisdom gives life. Wisdom, Chachma, the Chachma within your soul. If you want to live, you have to allow the Chachma within your soul. You have to allow the essence of Hashem to be permeated, illuminated within you. And it is also written on the opposite side, they die. Who dies without wisdom? The moment you don't allow wisdom to be permeated, illuminated within you, so in a certain aspect, that person has died. He's not allowing his body to be illuminated by the beauty of his soul. Let's put this together and we'll take questions. We began discussing today how the soul has this, has this, has this nature just like fire to want to elevate and become one with Hashem and lose its uniqueness. We said, what does it mean? where does this come from? We said it's a nature. It's something that's above our understanding and comprehension. And we defined what holiness means. This is a very important section. The definition of holiness. What does it mean to be holy? To be holy means to be separated. To be separated, truth separation is only by, by allowing Hashem fully within you. By allowing Hashem to be revealed fully within you. Obviously that's going to tell us that true klipa is being a somebody. Saying, this is me. I am here on my own. Paro said, Paro said, He said, the Nile River I made. Moshe, I don't know what you're talking about. I made this river. True life is connection with Hashem, is connection with Chachma. The opposite of life is by letting go of that. Covering over it. Next week we're going to learn how, yes, a Jew could sin. But we're going to learn next week. But how? how? How can a Jew sin? If within us is God. So where does the power to sin come from? How does that happen? Just like we don't hurt ourselves. So how could we hurt Hashem if we, are, if we have a part of Hashem within us? Very fascinating and illuminating conversation and topic. We'll continue next week. Are there any questions? Please, Dr. Yosef. Well, um, I, I don't think it's fair to, to say that the souls of the Gentiles are greedy and they're not humble because there are some people who are very humble. Dr. Yosef, I, I tried to ignore that on purpose. I was hoping you would have mentioned it, but I'm delighted you mentioned it. I'm not scared of the question. Let me make the question better then. Once we're already talking about it, I'll make it better. End of chapter 1, to quote, if you remember this 
this class, I thought it would be the last class I'd give. I thought no one would come back after that. I'll quote to you the end of chapter 1. It says like this. The Gemara comments on the verse. This is the Gemara. The Gemara says, Chesed chata. So the kindness of the nations is sin. The Gemara says, when a non-Jew does something kind, they are sinning. That's actually a quote from Proverbs. Chesel umchatos. When a non-Jew does a favor, it's, they're actually sinning. Says the Gemara, what type of sin could you do when doing a favor? That all the charity and kindness done by the nations of the world is only for their own self-glorification and so on. That's a Gemara. Nothing to do with Tanya. Nothing to do with Kabbalah. Again, the Gemara says, quoting the Pasuk, in Mishli v'chesalom m'chatos, that any, any kindness a non-Jew does is a sin. He, clarifying that it's all done for self-glorification. This is a Gemara. What does that mean, Dr. Yosef? I don't know, but I have a hard time accepting it, even if it's a Gemara. It's very difficult for me to accept that. So, so let me... First of all, I'd like to share with everyone that for an hour-long conversation about this, please go to the SoundCloud and listen to the end of Chapter 1, where we discuss this at great length. But I'll try to discuss it in a few moments. It's a little drastic here, but let's understand what it's really saying. Everyone has the ability to be kind. And everyone has the ability to really care about someone else. But there is something that is unique for the Jew. And that is that they're, complete, they're able to put themselves aside, completely ignoring themselves and only care about someone else. That is something that is unique that Hashem has given us. Again, we're not at all, it does look, the way it's written, you may perhaps take, out, take it out in a negative way, but that's not at all what it means. What the Talmud is sharing with us is actually the quality of the Jew. That a Jewish person can completely ignore himself, put himself on the side, and just worry about someone else. I will tell you, I am only here thanks to non-Jewish people. My grandfather was one of the people who was given a passport by a man named Sugihara. The Japanese Council in Lithuania. Yes, the Japanese Council in Lithuania. Gave, he gave, through, through this passport, he was saved. That man is a, gen, is a righteous Gentile, no question. He's saved many people. So there's many many non-Jewish people who are fantastic, amazing people. Again, what we've learned here though is that the, that the Jew has this natural, this natural, natural again, something that's higher than understanding, ability to completely put himself aside and just worry about someone else. So yes, over here it sounds, it sounds drastic. It's like, it sounds perhaps demeaning. We're saying, give, give, and feed me. Correct. We're just trying to bring out the opposite extreme. 
Any other questions? I hope I was able to answer that. Again, that was very short. I do highly suggest you listen to the last class on chapter 1. Um, are there any other questions? No. Basha, please. This is inappropriate, please, so everybody go home. But um, we're talking about how uh, the flame is rising to Hashem. Yeah. Would that indicate that when it's our time to leave this earth, that nobody leaves kicking and screaming, that we're really happy to be united, reuniting? The soul is very scared to be reunited. Because it is a time, of, it is a time of judgment, and I think actually Dr. Yosef brought this up last week. It's a very good question. It, it it is a scary time, but at the same time, it's a time that the soul is looking forward to. Yes, to being reunited with its source. I think for your, I mean, I so I work, I work in medicine just like you, and um, yeah, I think in my experience with death and dying, patients you know, go kind of one of two ways. Either they're completely fear-stricken. Um, I would do agree, but there's an element of, of panic involved. I, I haven't dealt with that. Oh, okay. So I, I work in critical Not care. Anyway. I work in critical care. And, yeah. and you know, so today, today at work happened to be a perfect example of, of what you're asking about. You know, and I had one man who was absolutely petrified and another man who just said, thank you, and shook the lady's hand who told him he was going to die. <laughs> thank you. And he just was, it was like the happiest thing that could have happened that day. There was an element of peace about him that he had that this other man clearly did not have. And you know, I, I think that is related to the, the peace of the soul knowing that, well, I am going to be reconnected and, and I am coming back to my beginning. You know, it's a very drastic difference. My experience has been that for some it provides clarity. Yeah, absolutely. It's no longer question. Yeah, and I think for this man who was who had peace, it was someone told him, "Okay, you know, you, you are free now. You're free now from pain, suffering, confusion, unanswered questions." You know. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you, everyone. Have a great evening. Oh, yes, you get a question. Uh, what percentage of the Deaths that you've seen are the ones that are okay with it and the ones that have fear. A percentage? Mm -hmm. um, and male versus female. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> under 65 and always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Narrowing my experience. Um, hmm. I think older women panic more than older men. Um, I have seen older men panic because they, they, they say they're worried about their wives. Mm. They're worried about what's going to happen to them. Right. Um, but I think the older women panic because they have relied on their men so much longer in their lives that now, you know, they're, they're parting in, in a way that is very uncomfortable for them. Do they have concern for the husband they're leaving behind? Not that I can particularly speak to. Don't they usually live longer? So they're usually... Yeah. 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 You know, Except leading. in the Bible. When you read the Bible, mostly men live longer than women. Yeah, that's very... Yeah. Well, but the, the, what has happened is that the nature of childbirth has changed, whereas... Nature has changed. The, pardon me? Nature has changed. 
Well, okay, well, let's, we'll yes. call it nature, but women used to die from a variety of diseases they no longer die from. Right. My experience has uh, not been as extensive as yours, but m mine tells me that the panic sets in with pain. Mm -hmm. The more pain, the more We work really hard to make sure there's not pain mm -hmm. these days. Yeah. But yeah, um, older women, I think, panic more. They're leaving, they're leaving a lot behind. They're leaving children, grandchildren. You know, I think it's their element of leaving what's here than the joy of uniting with what made them, what created them, their connection. And I think, you know, that's that's just my perception, you know, from my experience. But